Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Photography Chat. Uh, we're in season two, episode 42 with uh, Mike Padua coming up here. So we'll try and get Mike in and get him going on here. Hope everyone's been having a good week. What's up, JP? <laughs> there he is. I think it's uh, getting going here. Come on, Instagram. I accepted it. I don't know if you got to do something on your end there, Mike. Is it working there, Mike? Okay. It says the Mike Padua is unable to join. Do you have the latest? Oh, there we go. There we go. Uh, I like your glasses, man. Oh, thank you. Oh, JP's in here. Kick JP out. <laughs> I don't want him in here. I don't. I don't know. I I can't kick people out. I don't think. <laughs> yeah, I think that, get the riffraff out of here. <laughs> What's going on, man? Uh, just living the dream. It's another rainy day in in Vancouver. Um, it's it's that time of year right now where um, the seasonal depression kicks in and uh, and all that. So that's exciting. Yeah, man. Yeah, that's that's for real. I feel that for sure. Yeah, how are things down in California? Well, at the moment, beautiful and sunny. <laughs> so um, you know, but you know, we're about to hit that. Uh, uh, we're about to hit that. Uh, that uh, what do you call it when the time changes? The freaking time change. Oh, daylight savings. Daylight. Oh, I forgot what it's called. The daylight yeah, savings the time. So it's gonna start getting, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's going to start getting dark like super early, which like I've grown. I used to love that for some reason. But now that like, I, I, now that like, I don't know, just like, you know, I'm a photographer. I shoot videos, photos. It's like, I need the light. You know what I mean? So. Yeah. I've grown to, I've grown to really appreciate the summer months. So like when when you liked the lack of light was that more of like a gamer phase or like an emo goth phase or something or it might be it might be all of the above. So before I got like super serious with photography and this business, you know, it was just like you know, like me and my girlfriend would go out to dinner. Now my wife, uh, you know, we'd just like go out to dinner. So it didn't matter if it was sunny or dark. You know what I mean? I'd just be doing the same thing. Or I'd go like hang out with my friends or whatever, you know, like. Or I, I was also a musician for a short little bit. Um, uh, and so it's like, like we were headed to a show and, and we were going to be inside a dark, you know, dingy club anyway, so. What kind? Of, what did you play? Like, what kind of music? What instrument? So it was a long time ago. Um, the last time I was in a band was like 2008. 
Um, but the last band I was in, I played bass. But before that, I had played um, guitar. Um, and uh, But yeah, that's pretty much it. Last band I was in, I played bass. That makes sense. Bass players are a little weird, usually. Yeah, they really are. Yeah, that, Nothing compared to drummers, though. Like, drummers are... Drummers are really weird. Um, <laughs> but, you know, like, bassists and drummers are, are really important. Like, yeah. you know, the guitarists and, and all that, it's a dime a dozen. But if you don't have a good uh, bassist and um, a good drummer, then, like, your band kind of sucks. JP would play the triangle. That seems about right. You know, that, he's yeah, not yeah. quite ready for the cowbell yet. Mm -hmm. I tried to give him quadrangle lessons, but he was like, that's too complicated. That's wild. Yeah, I used to play bass in a band, too, and it was probably around the same time, like, oh, fuck, probably even earlier, like, maybe 2006, 2007 was uh, the last time. Peace out, Brian Brooks. I miss seeing your face, too, buddy. See you, Brian. Catch you next time, man. Love that guy. He's the best. Um, yeah, I, I miss playing in bands. It was a lot of fun. What kind of, uh, what kind of music did you play? It was, um, I guess you'd call it punk rock, you know, like growing up as a kid, that was like, um, you know, the, the reason I picked up a guitar in the first place. And then, you know, you naturally start a punk rock band with your friends. Cause that's all you know how to play. Um, and then in the later years, um, uh, these guys asked me to play bass in their, I didn't even like own a bass. I was not a bass player, but they were like, Hey, Mike's a nice guy and he knows how to play guitar. He for sure knows how to play bass. Let's ask him to play bass. So I was with that band for like, um, God, like four years, four or five years. Nice. That's cool. Yeah. Um, Jen's asking what instrument do I play? I used to play bass guitar, uh, when I played in bands and then I terribly play guitar on my own. Um, do you still play guitar? I know this is photography chat, so I apologize to everybody. But um, <laughs> well, so the thing guitar? is, photography chat's just the name of the show, and the the premise of it is, um, you know, every week I spend some time talking to somebody that um, the common theme between uh, me and them is, you know, photography in some sort of sense. But yeah. um, I really like learning more about the individual as well as like talking about the photography stuff. So. Um, it's cool to know about this part of you. And I kind of feel like I've noticed a theme with a lot of people I've talked to so far is that um, a lot of them have been musicians or played like instruments along with that. So maybe there's something with, you know, being a creative, like exploring different things and having that inspire you. So I'm kind of curious with that, you know, cause you know, also a fellow punk kid. Um, have you noticed like, punk inspiring um some of what you do and like i i know the answer is probably gonna be yes with some of that because i've seen some of the pins that you've created sure <laughs> there's definitely some of that but you know has it inspired you and in top five punk bands has it inspired me yeah for sure you you are correct the answer to that is yes a lot of that has you know uh, to do with the whole diy thing like growing up it's like the only way I didn't know any better. You know what I mean? Like, like you make your own t-shirts, you copy, you make your own um, uh, cassette covers you dub your own cassettes. It's like, it's, you, you know, I never, I never once thought to go to a screen printer. I didn't know that that was even a thing. Like I knew like Metallica somehow magically made their shirts in their Metallica universe or whatever, but it's like, 
we just like we just like make our own shirts at home and like learn how to make a a, a screen you know um and uh, make our own cassettes um and then top five punk bands uh that's a good i guess i'll just go like for, okay so what started it all for me was a sex pistols cassette so mm -hmm. I'll probably go like, cause it was like, it looked dangerous. You know what I mean? It was like, we had this music. I was like 14 years old. We had this music store in our hometown called the warehouse. If uh, anybody from the Bay area watches this, they're going to know what I'm talking about, but it looked dangerous and it sounded cool, you know? Um, and then that went into minor threat, which was like, hmm. just, offended my ears at first because it was like dude there's zero melody to this like what is this but it was like there's something about this that i really like and i just can't stop listening to it and then that dovetailed into black flag um and then that also um because i'm from the east the san francisco east bay area um green day was like a big deal here i live in a um a little town called benicia um and they would um play here all the time um you, you know they we had a youth center here where they they played when they start when they were playing in this town i was actually too young so i didn't see them when they played in this town but you know they left a lasting impression and like half of my friend group in town all work for those guys um how many bands is that is that four you're four uh, one yes, more. that's four. And then um, and then Fugazi. So like Minor Threat kind of, you know, kind of dovetailed into Fugazi. And um, that's pretty much I'd say that would round out like my all time top. Although from pure, I'm going to cheat. I'm going to throw a sixth one in there. Um, <laughs> your rules be damned, Merlin. But um, in, in terms of pure listening, vo like like listening time, The Clash. So mm -hmm. I probably like in, in, in high school, I probably listened to that band like the most in, in terms of like listening time. The, yeah. The quiet, like Joe Strummer. Amazing. Like that. Uh, oh, like, dude. Yeah. Of the clash and like his, his later work. And when you were mentioning the DIY stuff, I kind of figured you were either going to say minor threat or Fugazi in, in the mix there. Cause like, that's a, for sure. Those guys. Yeah, yeah, for for sure. And it's funny you mentioned Joe Strummer again, veer, like veering into guitar nerd stuff. So I apologize to anybody that is bored with this stuff. But like his his guitar sound was the sound of a Telecaster, mm -hmm. and I was not I was not smart enough to know that. But Ian Mackay from Minor Threat and Fugazi played an SG, so I had an SG. So because I thought it was cool, right? But I was a kid. I didn't know anything about. I didn't know anything about guitar tone or anything. And the sound I wanted was what Joe Strummer sounded like. And I was, I was always trying to do that with an SG. And I was like, why can't I sound like Joe Strummer? And then I realized it's the Telecaster. It's did, like. Did you have the SG with the dual humbuckers on it? Yes, I absolutely did. Yeah. It was like my dream guitar because I thought it was like my heroes played it, even though those weren't the people I wanted to sound like, you know? <laughs> that that's totally fair like i always wanted an sg because i thought the sg looked really badass yeah um i i have like a washburn mg30 um which is kind of like a like a stratocaster ripoff yeah okay and, um great guitar i've, I've it's been a, a, a you know trusty steed for um 
over 20 years, which is wild to think about because um, it doesn't feel like it's been that long um, yeah. ha- having these things. Um, so it's kind of cool, but I, I've noticed like, you know, there's, there's a similar care and attention when people talk about their music instruments to their like cameras and things like that. And um, I was kind of curious to ask you like, you know, with, with all of your cameras, um, do you have any where they've, they've been in your trust for, for so long, but when you think about it, it's just like, it doesn't feel like any time has passed with that camera. Yeah, definitely. Um, so the, the film camera, the camera that got me shooting film again was my, uh, my sister's Yashica FX3, nice. which is just a super simple, um, I think Cosina made it, but it's just a super simple SLR, you know, um, known to be very durable. It's got like a, the LEDs for the light meter on the side. Um, and, uh, you know, I still, I, I'll, it's not my main camera, but I will shoot like a couple of rolls through it every couple of months. Um, and, uh, but yeah, it's like, it's the one out of all the cameras I have, I have like way nicer cameras and cameras that I love and cherish, but that's the one camera that I can never sell, you know? Even if I wanted to sell it, it would probably sell for like 50 bucks, but I can never get rid of that camera. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. Just because my sister gave it to me and it's the camera that got me on this path of shooting film again, way back in 2009. And when, when did you get, oh, so 2009 was when you started mm-hmm. uh, yep. playing with film. Nice. Yeah, there was like a five year period where I didn't touch a roll of film. In fact, I remember once, I remember specifically getting my first digital camera in like 2002 maybe 2001 um and looking at the pictures on my computer and thinking and thinking to myself oh my god i never have to buy a roll of film ever again this is amazing you know <laughs> in <those> last words <laughs> yeah you're right yeah for sure um but uh but yeah so there was like a good like four or five years um actually more than that more than that so what, like, I, after you had that thought of like i never have to buy a roll of film again and didn't mm-hmm. that's like what pulled you back into the fray of uh, burning money up like it's going out of style so that's a really good question so my sister gave me this camera um and i had um i had started uh my attempt to be a professional photographer because you know, like I started getting, like I started buying digital SLRs and, and shooting um, like theatrical productions and stuff like that. And I started to understand manual exposure after after a while, kind of through, kind of just through osmosis, not through efforts of trying to understand it, but just because I had a camera in my hands all the time, I was like, oh, it's like, that's what this knob does. Okay, I would just kind of absorb it over time. And so when my when my sister gave me this, completely mechanical manual camera i looked at the dials and i thought i know what those dials mean like i know what all this stuff means even though like like you know a few years ago before learning how to expose with digital i didn't know what any of these dials mean so like i'm super curious to try this so i went to rite aid got some rite aid brand film um ran that through which was just rebranded uh fuji film it's like 200 you know um, ran that through the camera. And when I got the, um, and this was when Costco was still developing film, our local Costco. Um, I got the rolls back with the scans and I was like, these look so different. Like 
day. I, I don't remember. I, digital had made me forgot what film can look like, that it just looks so different. And also just the experience, you know, like there's no screen, you know, I'm, I'm I've got the 36. So I'm a little bit more, I'm acting a little bit more precious about the, the, the 36 or, or usually 24. Cause I was just buying like cheap grocery store stuff, you know? Um, I was going to ask you there, I'm like 36 versus 24, which camp are you part of? Third, I'm 36 for sure. Like I, I like, I like volume. Um, but, uh, but, you know, give me a roll of 24. I'll be, I'll be fine. You know, I'll make it work. Nice. I, I appreciate you sharing that. Yeah. That's, that's a, a kind of fun start. And I'm guessing that Rite Aid probably doesn't sell film anymore because Fuji's they do sell film. They, they sell, they sell film very, very expensively actually. Yeah. So um, Rite Aid branded? Uh, no, no, not right. Good question. Not right in branded. It's Fuji. It's uh, they sell uh, superior, you know, the, the 200 and the superior 400. So, uh, so they do still sell the film, but it's super expensive. It's like $35 for three rolls of um, 400. God damn. Yeah. 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 That's like two uh, rolls. Of I guess if you're um, desperate and you really need film, you can get it from Rite Aid. So I've always been kind of curious, like how did you get from those kind of starts there from, you know, punk bands to doing the digital thing to finding film again to um, shoot film co. Um, so that started um, in 2015 when, you know, I was deep into the film thing. Like I was like, I was still shooting digital for jobs and stuff. Um, but everything personal was filmed just cause it was more fun. You know what I mean? Like, so all the stuff I was shooting for myself at home of my kids, it's all digital, like, uh, or excuse me, it's all film. And so you just, um, you fall into these communities, like for example, on Instagram, you know, um, you fall into these communities and these hashtags and stuff and you find other people. It's like, you know, you realize, oh, there's other people out there that are shooting this too. So um, I made, um, I was actually going way back before I was in, um, before I was even a photographer, before I even started shooting digital even, um, I actually worked uh, at a, a print shop. Um, so graphic design was one of my first, first loves before photography. So um, uh, I, when I started shooting film again, I made a little, just one embroidered patch, you know, cause there was, there was companies making embroidered patches and it was just, it was kind of a, like a joke, like a fun little thing. And I made, um, I think I made 25 of them and I sent, uh, I think six, I sent, a handful out to six of my friends who I'd met on Instagram. So I was like, Hey, I made this fun little patch. We're film shooters. Give me your address. I sent it out. And then like, like over the next couple of weeks, they, they said like, Hey, do you have any more of those patches? My friend wants one. And then now this friend wants one. And now this friend wants one. So that just became like, it's like, Oh, like people want these things. And I have all these silly little designs in my head. It's like, I'm just going to make more and put them up. You know, I made like a little, a little cheesy web store with WordPress and, you know, like, um, just 
put them up for sale and promoted them on Instagram. And that like just grew and grew and grew. It's basically a conduit for ideas, you know, because again, like I'm, I'm also in addition to being a photographer, I was, I was a designer and that was like my first love. Mm -hmm. That's cool. Well, what was the patch again? It was the yellow. It was like an, it was like an oval patch. Um, that said, uh, Oh my God, I can't even remember. It was, oh, it was, um, uh, in, it said in grain, we trust. And it had like a little, you know, like a little 35 millimeter roll of film with the leader out. And it was like, um, yellow in, in homage to Kodak colors, you know? Nice. I like that. Have you done like a reissue of that one or is that one that's like a, a regular? Um, on yeah, I did. I did a couple of runs. I did a couple of runs of like, you know, uh, I didn't change anything, but I, I, I ran it again like a few times until basically like I just kind of let it go out of production, you know, um, and uh, people still ask about it every once in a while, um, which is cool that something like from the very beginning people still recognize and people ask about, but um, I might bring it back sometime and, you know, no, I, I don't have any hard, fast rules about like, I'm never doing that one again. It's like, if people want it, you know, like I'll, I'll bring it back. I don't want it. I'm not trying to create any kind of like artificial scarcity or anything like that. I mean, 2025 is really not that far away. You could do a 10th anniversary edition. That's, that's right. Yeah, yeah. My fifth anniversary was when the, the pandemic, you know, when all the lockdowns were just starting and the pan, like, we didn't, nobody knew anything about stuff. So like, my fifth anniversary was kind of like, oh, that kind of petered out and kind of was nothing, you know, but 2020, you're right, 2025 is not far away. No, no, it's not that far away. And, you know, it'll be the year after um, they roll out uh, JFK Jr. from the deep freeze so that he can join um, the the orange ape to be yeah. vice president. Yeah, JFK Jr. Thank you. I'm I'm glad you understand. I'm glad you're part of the the team. <laughs> I so I saw Daniel Rodriguez. Uh, he was he was posting photos from Dallas of the people waiting on the grassy knoll yeah. for JFK Sr. to come out and announce the running mate thing, and I was just like there's hundreds of people there. How do these people actually believe that this is a real thing? Those poor people are just getting trolled at this point. You know, like whoever's feeding this information to them is just, they're just fucking with them at this point, you know? <laughs> it's just mean. It's just, it's just yeah. mean. Um, yeah. So <laughs> what a time to be alive right now. What, so what a time to be alive, dude. Yeah. It's crazy. You're, you're, you're in the Bay Area, you were saying. Mm-hmm. Yep, the the, the uh, technically, officially the East Bay Area. So like, I live in a town called Benicia. So like, um, kind of east of southeast of San Francisco, there's like Berkeley, Oakland, and stuff like that. So I'm I'm kind of on that side of the bay. Okay. Yeah, I've spent a bit of time down there because I used to work for a company that was in Mountain View. So okay. I'm in like the Palo Alto Mountain View yeah, area. Yeah, so that's okay. south of me. So I would have been, I, I'm basically an hour north of that. Okay. That's a beautiful area there. What was okay. like, so you, you mentioned the, the pandemic and um, I had the, the joy of 
being in San Francisco the weekend it was shutting down because of the really? pandemic. And that was like, well, yeah, because the Policon thing was going on. So Brian Brooks That's and right. the um, San Francisco Instant uh, Film uh, Group and uh, the Policon guys all got together to put to put together mm-hmm. uh, a, a Polaroid event. Uh, Glass Key hosted us, which was really cool. And That's Underdog right. That's right. Uh, which is you know, Brian's joint with Jesse. Um, they were hosting us too, and it was like the weekend that like you guys shut down that Monday, and yeah, it was... yeah, that hammer was about to drop, and that's why I didn't go to that Policon thing. It was like, you know, stuff's getting weird, stuff's getting real, and it's like, you know, like I have a lot of friends going to this Policon thing, and you just reminded me of that, and um, you know, that's why I just ended up not going to that. It's like I'm just gonna lay low. I don't know what's you know, um, nobody knew anything really yet, you know. Well, and that was the thing that was so weird is that, yeah, no one really knew, but, like, people were talking about this stuff. And um, I, I stayed with, like, with my friend Brian and Mary. Uh, we shared a hostel together. And, like, the night that we first got there, we were all talking, like, did we make a huge mistake? Like, should we stay at home? But then we were also kind of, like, we all had this gut feeling that this was probably going to be the last trip that any of us would be able to take at any time for a long time. Yeah. No, we were just like, fuck it, let's try it. And it was like so early, like when I left Toronto, um, there was no, like, when you come back, you have to quarantine or anything like that. But like when I came back, like you have to go straight home and you're not allowed to leave for 14 days. I'm like, the fuck is this about? Like, this is so crazy. Yeah, those cra- I mean, crazy times. It was, it was, it was insanity. So, yeah, absolutely. So, like being further down in, in the Bay Area, like what was that like? Because I know San Francisco was super freaking weird um, when when that was all locked down. It was. It's it's pretty weird. So I live, um, I live in an area that is, um, it's 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 fairly, it's it's pretty liberal, you know, being in the Bay Area. But if you go if you go further any east, any further east or north, it starts to get, it starts to get a little redder, if you know what I mean. So, um, you, you know, like I live in a county where it's like one of the, one of the health officials was like not really pushing for any mask mandates or anything like that. You know, there's like a, a bunch of counties had, had started saying, okay, quarantines, curfews, mask mandates, and our, our county kind of held out a little later, you know? Um, So just to kind of give you a lay of the land and and what the landscape is, but um, you know, um, still, you know, basically pretty close to what you saw in San Francisco. Well, not yet. You had probably left by then, but pretty close to what, uh, what you'd see. Um, The Instagram, AKA Ben, Fraternale just came hey, in said, Mike is the goat, and this is a fact. <laughs> I don't know about the goat, but maybe maybe a goat along with Ben. His YouTube channel is so cool. And um, he was, uh, uh, was it with Mint? Ben, was it Mint that sent you a, a camera? Somebody had sent him. Oh, no, it was Polaroid. Like, he, was, he, yeah. he did a lab with Polaroid. And I was like, holy crap, that's so freaking cool. So, but anyway, it's good to see him. Yeah, he's a great guy. He was my guest last week. Um, talked about a bunch of things. Um, I'm 
surprised though, like looking back on, we totally forgot to talk about the 20 by 24 stuff that he did with uh, Camerodactyl. Um, Cause we did. Yeah, with Ethan. Yeah, I know. Yeah. yeah. We, we totally missed out talking about that. Uh, Cause we just got wrapped up with Sweet Boys and like all the other stuff. <laughs> it was, it was a lot of fun chatting with, uh, with Ben. Um, so yeah, it was it was some uh, it was a big act to follow up um you being the the next guest after him and you're doing a fantastic job oh thanks that was you know how do you how do you follow such greatness you know what i mean you just you just dive head in and yeah we did get busy talking about being emotionally mature men. i feel like that's a very important thing like you know it's 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 important to be able to express your feelings and actually emote them and yeah, it's okay to cry um yeah. Was that a result of the pandemic like lockdown or just like <laughs> what is going on? Kinda, yeah, yeah. I mean coming out of it, dude, like when coming out of it, you know, when I got the vaccine and it was starting to hit me that's like that that like, okay, like we might be coming out of this thing, like we're we might be able to you know, all the things we took for granted, like eating in a restaurant like oh my god you know and it's like it's like you know like coming out of that you start to think like i'm all right being tired is not an excuse you know like i have i feel like i have this lease on life again so there may have been may have been a tear here and there as i was eating a hamburger with my friend for the first time in a year and a half you know it it hits different it for sure (laughs) It for sure hits different. And now it's it's now a weekly ritual. Like we go, me and my buddy Tony go to our favorite burger spot, which if you ever come down here, I'll take you. Um, I, I don't know if you're vegetarian or vegan. If you are, we'll go find a, a, a vegetarian. I, I love burgers, man. Okay. You, you then, have to get burgers. Then, I will, then I will take you. Um, ben, Mike sobbing on this live would be kind of a vibe. <laughs> But uh, I mean, there's a clubhouse channel for that where it's just people crying on on the yeah know, that's I mean, true. yeah I think Ben hosts that actually yeah um, but <laughs> getting in touch with your sweetness is, is probably <laughs> <a channel>. <laughs> <laughs> but, I, I do love burgers though and I will definitely take you up on that um, for sure man <laughs> it's in a rough neighborhood in an uh, in an uncool city. Uh, it's the neighboring city, Vallejo, which was like, it has the distinction of being the second city in California to ever de- declare bankruptcy. So okay. there, there was a naval base in this city shut down in 1996. City went bankrupt. Um, but it's got the best burger place in the world. So <laughs> I'm going to take you there. And those are usually like the best places. It's like you go to the sketchy joint where you're like, I'm definitely probably going to eat something that's going to make me shit myself. And then it's the most amazing thing you've ever had. For sure. Yeah, absolutely. Unless you are like lactose intolerant. And then if you do eat a cheeseburger, you're probably going to end up in that situation. Yeah, you may just shit yourself anyway. Might be worth it. Totally. Yeah, worth it. Totally worth it. Um, yeah, I love that kind of stuff. And it's interesting, though, like, you know, you mentioned taking things for granted, like, I went to this art installation a couple weeks ago, and there was like an after party afterwards. And, um, you know, there was a bunch of people there, and we were all vaxxed and everything. And it was the weirdest thing for me and my partner to be in, because it, it kind of felt like illegal. Because <laughs> it's just like, 
there's people around us. Right. There's so many people. And are we allowed to do this? Is this okay? Is this safe? Is, are yeah, we, like, are we, are we... Are we the resistance? Is this the rebellion? Like, is, <laughs> that, is, is that what's going on here? Yeah, and yeah. For sure. It was it was weird, but you, the thing's taken for granted. Like, you know, shaking a stranger's hand, giving someone yeah. a hug. Like, you know, yeah. I miss, like, that sort of, like, foot, how footloose and fancy free we were, you mm-hmm. know, in 2019. And then, like, you know, just came down like a bag of gross potatoes on everyone. Yeah. Yeah. That was a terrible metaphor. Anyways. I thought it was great. I knew exactly what you're talking about. You know how many you know how many times a bag of gross potatoes has fallen on me? <laughs> I did almost have a bird shit on me the other day. I got out uh, of my car. We were going for brunch and like I'm just walking forward and I stopped for a second to look at something and just as I stopped I felt it like just brush past my face and splat on the ground in front of me. And I was just like, that was super close. That was way too close for comfort. Yeah. And you escaped. You, you escaped scot-free. I, yeah. You know, that, that was uh, the sweet boy residual effect of uh, chatting with Ben. That's right. The, the grace was there. Um, being in the Bay Area, like, man, so many interesting things to shoot like what what do you find like you know, outside of what we talk about with like um uh the, the music and such um what other things do you find like inspiring like you know what kind of stuff do you like to go track down to shoot or like are, are there any photographers you really enjoy looking at or books that you like look at that just like you know get y'all jacked up to go create things well um there's actually a photographer by the name of Carolyn Drake. I don't know if you're familiar with, with Carolyn Drake. She actually no. lived, the, the city that I told you about, the neighboring city, the city of Vallejo, she, uh, she actually lives in that city. Um, and she's actually a Magnum photographer. I'm, you're, you might be familiar with that, uh, that uh, agency yeah, association. I've, heard of Magnum. I have, I've not heard of her. Yeah, but, um, but uh, uh, I... I just found out, you know, I, I found her work and it was really beautiful work. And as I was, you know, going through her website, I would see captions, you know, about like, you know, so-and-so um, outside of their house in Vallejo, California. And I was like, Vallejo, that's like right here. And then I come to find out, you know, I seek out interviews and stuff. I come to find out that she lives in Vallejo, um, which is, which is, you know, that's, just, I, I haven't met her. I don't know her or anything like that. Um, but, uh, but, you know, such an esteemed photographer who does amazing work. Um, just kind of like this somewhat documentary, but also kind of abstract um, kind of social documentary work. Um, just really beautiful stuff. Name's Carolyn Drake. She's, she's terrific. Carolyn. Um, I'm pretty sure her name on Instagram is Drakey cakes. <laughs> I like that. Drakey yeah, cake. yeah. But um, yeah, so, yeah she she's a yeah, photographer. Drake. Like you know, I mean, whether she was local or not, I would be a big fan of her. It just was such a big coincidence that she happens to to be local. Um. Uh, and, uh, you had asked another part of the question, stuff I like to go shoot. I mean, mainly what I shoot is kind of my family, you know, that's really all I really have time to shoot with, 
work and the businesses and stuff, it's like I'm just shooting pictures of my kids uh, for the most part and my wife. Um, but also I have this, I kind of, at the beginning of this year, I tried to begin this project of like the area is changing so rapidly. Um, businesses are closing down. Um, Amazon warehouses are popping up. Um, and uh, so I was just trying to figure out how to document that change, you know, because I've lived here just about all my life. Um, so, uh, and you know, things are changing really fast. Things are changing faster in the past few years than they ever have. So I'm trying to figure out a way to document that. And I started trying to shoot stuff earlier this year. Um, and, uh, but you know, so when I do go out with some free time shooting, that's kind of what I've got in my mind of, of what I'm trying to, to document. But, you know, like with anything, it's, it's a really slow going thing. Um, not sure what direction I want to take it or, and I'm not even sure what I want to say with that project, you know, but just seeing things change. I just want to get a document of that as it's, as it's happening. Are you thinking of like making a book out of it or like a, a gallery show kind of thing? Or Maybe. Um, I, I don't know. That's all up in the air. You know, like the first thing was like, first and foremost, just get a document, you know. Um, there's another town nearby called uh, Concord, which is like, um, it's that's closer, that's south. It's closer to like San Jose and Silicon Valley. But it's just like, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes away. And, um, you know, that area has changed a lot. And I kind of started that project there, actually, because there's a shopping center that, um, you know, where it's a big shopping center and it's still like kind of a central hub for this suburb. But more than half of the businesses are closed, you know. So I would see just, you know, like a big fancy supermarket and then all the little stores to the left and right are just boarded up, covered in graffiti. And I'd never seen that before in, in all my life, you know, that just over the course of a couple of years that, that happened. So that's kind of what spurred that project on. Interesting. I mean, sometimes it's good to just like shoot things and then try and see what it evolves into. Um, I had this photo mentor who's a very interesting cat and I was talking to him about this idea I had for a book and he's like, that's bullshit. Just shut the fuck up about that. Yeah, you talk about the you have this idea. You know, just go out and shoot, shoot, shoot. You yeah. just go out and you shoot, 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 and then with the, it finds you. You don't. You make this idea and it's bullshit because you have nothing to go into the idea. You just mm. go make things and it'll create itself. And I was like, you're kind of crazy, but I can kind of see your point. I can t absolutely see that because this was actually the first time this project that I'm verbalizing here with you is one of one of the only times I've gone into shooting with a specific project in mind. Um, usually I'm just shooting. It's like, I see something interesting. I shoot it. That's, that's 99.9% .9 of, of the time, you know, um, another project I had kind of started, but kind of petered out actually because of the pandemic was this area that I'm in. It's called, it's a neighborhood called the Arsenal. And it's called that because it was a former army base in the 60s. Um, and it was literally an arsenal. The army kept, the United States Army kept uh, uh, weapons and munitions here in this area. And so there's a, um, there's a private port kind of behind me um, that, uh, that offloads 
uh, cars now. It's not like a it's not a public port. It's a private port. They offload cars and stuff. And these giant these giant cargo ships have workers that come off of them and walk to the store. They're like the nearest store is like a Seven Eleven, about a mile that way. You know, so these groups of workers who are obviously they've obviously been on a boat for the past like four weeks or whatever. Um, um, obviously not from the neighborhood, you know, um, and they just, yeah. and for some reason they have phones. None of them have phones. And I don't really know why. Um, but uh, um, they you just ask walk them off. Of them to be like blink twice if you're okay. <laughs> once if you're right. Okay. Yeah. And you know, they like, I, I just, um, and I, the thing is, I would ask, but because of the pandemic, for some reason, I don't know if they're not allowed to walk through, walk through town or whatever, but I haven't seen many people. But I started taking photos, um, portraits of those people, um, you know, um, and, and just because I would like at any given time, if I would go take a walk, I'd see like a couple of groups of, of people, you know, uh, again, you could just tell that they've, they've come off a boat, you know, like there's like a group of four five six of them or whatever just come off a boat go to the grocery store to get some candy and a coke and you know go back to the boat to work and then you know ship off to the next port or wherever they're going so but uh, but yeah you don't you don't see them anymore since the pandemic um that's a really interesting story i wonder what happened to those people but ben also has a question uh, he's curious about your thoughts on the film price increase and the general accessibility of film going forward. That's a really good question. Um, you know, I don't, um, <clears throat> I've seen a lot of really interesting conversations come up about that. You know, people, people lamenting a price increase, which I don't blame them. You know, when, when something is $3 in 2015 and it's $10 now, of course people are going to complain. Like, I don't want to pay three times as much for something that was $3 a few years ago. But then also the thing that that's come up about it, it was in um, silver grain, you know, that magazine silver grain, I think silver grain classics is what it's called. Somebody, somebody posted a really in-depth article looking at the price of film um, and how um, it's not only with inflation, but, but, the pre-digital price of film, film was actually pretty expensive. You know? Oh yeah, I did see that one out there where it's like, we're basically like the pricing we're at right now is sort of where we were at the peak in the 90s before yeah. film prices started to go down. So if anything, film prices have normalized because they had to sell so cheap just to get people to buy shit. Exactly, exactly. And, a, you know, a weird part of the conversation is people people telling other people to not complain because it was it was expensive before this, so you're not allowed to complain or something. You know, that's kind of the vibe I get from certain people. But it's like, of course, we're it's a consumer good. It was priced at a certain point. Um, and as for how I feel about it, you know, I can't say that I like it, <laughs> you know, Um I'm, I'm pretty stocked up um, just because that's kind of my nature to stock up on stuff. 
um, 35 millimeter film roll. Yeah, Silver Grain Classics. That's where, if anybody wants to read that article, that's where that article was. So Silver Grain Classics. But, um, but you know, but also Ben, it makes me, it makes me a little fearful because I don't know, you, you know, a lot of people will have an inflection point of where they might stop shooting film. But, you know, I mean, I don't see demand going away. Um, if demand were to go away, I'm sure manufacturers would kind of compensate for that by dropping prices because they don't want demand to go away. Like people are, no, they don't. you know, so the and still, you know, I think like it's a, it's a reality that in five years time, I might be shooting less film than I am today. You know, that's like a reality I'm prepared to live with. But I, will I still be shooting it? Yeah, as long as they're still making it. Maybe I won't shoot 10 rolls. Maybe I'll shoot two, you know? Yeah, definitely. Like it's the, the cost of, of operating. It definitely comes into effect, but I think something that a lot of people forget and, and is that um, the consumer film isn't really where most of these film companies make their money. Like, they, right. like we're, we're kind of a rounding error for the most part, like with, with our interests in it, like, where they're making all a rounding money. error yeah <laughs> well yeah like you know when, when you think about it it's like i'm upset about the cost of film kodak and i want you to make it cheaper and alaris is like the fuck are you oh, sorry what because yeah. where they make all their money is selling it to hollywood for film yeah like that's and and that's where you know if, if we want a bellwether of if film is going to continue to be accessible for the rest of us we need to keep an eye on finding out like um is Hollywood still going to keep shooting? And so right. far there seems to be like a healthy interest in continuing to shoot film. But the moment that starts to wane at any point or, you know, they start to raise prices enough that, um, you know, movie productions and, and whatnot don't want to use film, then that's when we're going to be in trouble because right. that's what's going to start affecting like the Kodak bottom line in a really big way. Like, you know, they're not going to be super upset that a few film nerds are pissed off that, um, you know, they're raising some of the films upwards of 25%. They'll be like, okay, whatever, don't buy it. Um, but then if like Hollywood stops buying it, then they'll be like, oh shit, okay, we've got a problem. Okay, yeah. let's talk about this, guys. Yeah, we are. That's a great point. We are unfortunately the outliers in this equation. You know, we're 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 the ones on the side. And you bring up a great point with 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 Hollywood for sure. Yeah, because that's that's effectively what has brought Kodak back. Like, you know, I, I think we can all probably thank Hollywood like you know directors um like um uh Scorsese and Tarantino and in the like that have uh, right. used film recently because that's given a huge injection of cash into Kodak and you know it has allowed them to do the R&D to bring like Ektachrome back and like there's a, a new formulation they're teasing will get dropped at some point and you know none of that would have happened if Hollywood didn't start spending money again yeah, yeah, for sure. But, you know, also, I mean, uh, kind of going back to Ben's question, like he shoots a lot of instant, you know, that market looks pretty darn healthy, you know. Um, it's a very healthy market. With Instax and, and, and Polaroid, you know, kind of becoming Polaroid again, you know, um, that's, I love, I love seeing that. There you go, man. Um, so, yeah, what, you, what are your, you love to see it. What are your thoughts on this guy, the, the Polaroid Go? I mean, I like it. Um, I don't. I don't have one. Um, I would. 
I would totally get one though. Like the only reason I haven't got, I don't have a reason why I haven't gotten one um, other than I'm shooting a lot of Instax wide right now. Um, so uh, yeah, but I mean, that thing is awesome. It's so tiny though. Like here, here's a regular Polaroid and then there's, there's the go. Like yeah. it's, yeah, it's a fraction of the size. That's, that's, that's niche for sure. You know, that's like a, that's definitely a, a niche thing, but you know, like anything, anything that creates a picture using chemicals, like I'm, I'm into it. You know, I don't know. Um, I don't know if it was successful. Do you know if it was like a success, a successful format for them or I don't well, know. Anything I'm, about I'm not sure. They haven't really released much about it, but I yeah. think like this wasn't for us. They didn't make the go for right. people that like that's to, not for us. Or, yeah. Um, but where I could see this really taking off is like, you know, the parents that are thinking of buying their kid a camera and they're looking at an Instax Mini or they're looking at a Polaroid Go and maybe they'll lean a little bit more to the Polaroid for the nostalgia aspect of it to be like, oh, I remember Polaroids when I was a kid and I want right. to get my Polaroid or whatever. Yeah. Uh, so like for that purpose, like I think this is a great size, like, you know, kids will love this kind of thing and it's a lot cheaper to burn through these than it is to burn through the regular Polaroid, even with eye type. <clears throat> yeah, and, for, yeah, for sure. And that's one thing I appreciate too, is like these formats that come out, like, and you hear a lot of people say, well, it's the, the frame is so small, blah, blah, blah. And, and it's like, it's not for you. You know, it's for somebody else. You gotta, you gotta learn to ex accept that. That's like that part of the industry, which, you know, you consume some of their products, they make money in other parts of the industry too. So that format might not be for, for you or me, but it's, it's for somebody like, just like in like the Instax mini, you know, I understand, as I understand it, those are super popular and people love those. Um, I actually, popular. yeah, extremely popular. So, you know, the fact that they make money from that um, makes me happy because I want them to keep making, you know, that, and and the wide yeah the the insects mini is a neat format and um <clears throat> the only mini camera that i have right now is my only leica <laughs> oh the so yeah yeah those are, those are cool the <laughs> most ridiculous ridiculous leica that's ever been made like yeah. um and the only reason i got it is i got a wicked deal on it off of craigslist some guy was selling it for 150 bucks he had no that's idea. good i would have snapped that up for sure <laughs> Yeah, and, and so, it's kind of funny to have the red dot. Exactly, man. Exactly. Uh, um, I got into Instax wide because I found an, an Instax 210, which, by the way, if anybody wants to get into Instax wide, Instax 210s are super undervalued right now. I see them for $20 in, like, in my area, like, all day, just used, you know. Um, maybe not on eBay. Sometimes on eBay, but, like, 20 to 40 dollars for an instax 210 which is the older model wide uh it's the predecessor to the 300 um and um yeah it shoots wide and those frames are huge i kind of like the look of the 210 more than the 300 too like the 300 is just too chunky and bulky and it yeah kind of, it's annoying yeah the 210 uh, has like a weird i wish i had one with me but the 210 has like a weird viewfinder on the side and yeah, um, yeah it does like alien poke out kind of thing exactly on. exactly and you know what the parallax of that viewfinder is really not great but you learn to live with it you know um and it's just a it's a fun camera 
Yeah, I don't think I ever used a viewfinder when I was shooting the wide. I just kind of pointed it at people and just pushed the button. Point. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's such a cool platform, though. Like, um, I love the wide medium. I just don't really like the wide cameras. Like, I haven't been super duper impressed by any of the wide cameras that Fuji have. Um, I've been trying to find a, a good deal on a 500F because I hear that's like the holy grail of like the Instax wide cameras. But I've never. Even, I'm, I'm actually I'm I'm not familiar with those at all. Oh, so the 500F was like I think it was a Japanese market only uh, Instax wide camera. It had a much better lens. It's autofocus. Like it's it's like the cat's meow when it comes to uh, shooting Instax wide. Let's hit the eBay right now, man. What the 500F? <laughs> yeah, 500F. But I'm curious what your thoughts are on the Instax wide printer that they just released. I also think it's cool. Like I would, um, I actually have, I don't have the Instax wide printer, but um, they have that uh, a bunch of companies license this technology called Zinc. Have you ever seen those? It's those yeah. little guys sub like, Canon makes a Canon brand one. Polaroid makes a Polaroid. Kodak makes a Kodak brand one. So um, just I think any kind of instant printing thing I think is really cool. Um, my uh, we have a we have one of those, and my daughter's ask, always asking me to print pictures, you know, from my phone because she wants to. She likes to make uh, like scrapbook photo albums and, and stuff like that. So, but yeah, I mean anything that. I think anything that prints a picture is cool. I love, I, I've always thought that the best way to see a picture is in print. So, um, you know, I dig it. I agree. I think it's a really cool thing. And yeah, I started playing with digital more again. Like I picked up a Fujifilm X-T2, which required me to eat a lot of crow because I've, I've shat on Fuji a lot over the last few years. Mm -hmm. And um, they make a damn fine digital camera. I, I have to give um, but I'm kind of excited of checking out the um, the new wide printer to be able to print photos from the XT2 on the yeah. wide print. I think that'd be pretty cool. What do they run? Do you know how much they cost? Um, they're like 200 something Canadians. So that's like what, 50 bucks American? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's, that's not bad. That's not bad. No, I think I, it's I like have... 150 American or something like that. Yeah. If I had a compatible camera, I would totally get one. But, you know, I just... Well, you could I use think, it with your iPhone, too. What's that? You could just use it with your iPhone, too. Like oh, can uh, you? Okay. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, just it Bluetooth's on your iPhone. Just like the Zinc printers. You just yeah. have the app. You can, like, do a thing. And it looks pretty cool. I, I'm definitely going to pick one up. Um, yeah. Here's JP lucked out and you know because he's always stocking all the things and he he scored one at Target because they fucked up and released it early and he oh. ordered it before they closed it off again so that's awesome yeah um waster of silver says uh it's time to go look for half frame cams to make up for the price increase how do you feel about half frame cameras um I I don't Purely from a gear standpoint, I don't. I've never shot with a half frame camera that I particularly liked. I don't have a problem with the format. I think the format is is cool. Um, what is the what are those Olympus ones? The Pen F. Yeah, you know, the Pen F. 
I've never, I've never gotten my hands on, on one of those. Um, I imagine it would be cool. Um, but, uh, I think I, I personally would not shoot half frame just because the 35 millimeter frame size is my sweet spot. It's, mm. it's big enough for me. And it's, you know, it's that spot where it's not, it's not, it's big enough and it's not too small. Whereas half frame, I think it's, it's getting into that like too small territory, which like, you know, I'm, I'm, I know that you can still make some, some fine photographs with a half frame of 35 millimeter, you know, but, uh, but I just like the 35 millimeter frame size too much, you know, like it's just totally my sweet spot. Hi, Stephanie. Um, Stephanie? I agree. Like I like the 35 millimeter frame size. It's yeah. a really good frame size. I just started shooting six by six and, or no, sorry, not six by nine. And I like that too, because it's like, you get that 35 millimeter frames up, but just like a honking big yeah. negative, which has been pretty cool. My problem though, with half frame is um, I bought a, a samurai because I was all stoked about like trying half frame and yes it took for fucking ever to get through that roll of film. Like, yeah. <laughs> <just> <laughs> brutal. and I'm like, when is this roll ever going to stop? Holy shit. <laughs> like, it, it was just, it was too much. Like I like 36 because I don't feel like 24 is enough, but then 72 was like way too much. Like that was. Yeah. 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 It's just, it's just the, and it's probably because I've been shooting it for so long that it's the sweet spot, but it's the sweet spot for me. You know, in fact, I like, I don't even, um, I'm not even a fan of medium format. I like that size negative is too much for me. Like I don't, I don't need that size. It's, it's nice. It's, it's cool to have it. It looks great, but I just, I don't feel like I need it. You know? As, as like all of the medium format boys out there, just like slowly weeping, like Papa Mike doesn't like us. <laughs> I'm actually <laughs> selling my six, seven. I have a Pentax six, seven. I, I, I need to send it in for a CLA, but I'm going to be selling it. I just don't, I don't really, I don't need it. Yeah. You know? I mean, it could be a really good time to sell it because I think like the way that they're valued right now, that could be a down payment on a house. Yeah. Well, not in California. <laughs> no, and, it could not be like a, that's for damn sure. Oh, fuck. Yeah. Okay. Maybe like a down payment on a car. Like <laughs> yeah, yeah. a down payment on another camera. Uh, Vancouver just got voted most expensive place to live in North America, which um, feels really good. Yeah. You know what? That's cool. I feel a little better about <laughs> in California. <laughs> yeah. I. The way that like all the housing prices and all of that are going right now worry me a little bit because they just... They, they can't keep going up. Like at some point there's, there's gotta be some kind of ceiling. And I know some folks that have like, they've bought houses recently and they've got like mega mortgages on a house where I'm like, yo, that thing's like actually worth like probably like a quarter of what you paid for it. <laughs> like when, when the, when the rationalization comes, like you're going to be wicked underwater, man. Like, and it's, like that um welcome to real estate chat everybody it's stuff like yeah. that. um 
it's stuff like that that's going to bring the, this market down, you know, because there was a couple of years where everybody was like, housing market's going to crash in 2018. Housing market's going to crash in 2019. Housing market's going to crash in 2020. But I didn't see anything, any, you know, that was going to cause a crash like it did back in 2008. You know, I didn't see any external factors. But stuff like that where they've got a gigantic mortgage on something that is not worth it, you know, seeing more and more stuff like that, then you realize, oh, that's the stuff that's going to cause yeah. a slide, you know. Well, there's there was this interesting in, um, article I read. It, it was a couple of years ago now, but it was this this dude that was a real estate agent in Vancouver, and um, he had been a real estate agent his whole career in Vancouver. He started in like I think like it was either the late '60s, early '70s, and then he retired in like 2015 or something like that. And there was one house that he had sold, like a dozen or so times in his career. Yeah. Like he just sold this, like what it was like one of the first houses he sold, oh. one of the last houses he sold. And he was like, the first time he sold that house, he sold it for like $32,000. And the last time he sold the house, it went for something like $3.4 million. And he was like, it yeah. was the same damn house. Like, yeah thing really changed there was like some minor like you know upgrades and like whatever here but he's like there was nothing that drastically happened to that house that made it worth oh. millions he was like it was still like a thirty-two thousand dollar house in his mind yeah crazy 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 anyway Stephanie's <laughs> like welcome to millennium problems chat I mean that's a really cool one too like the millennium tower in San Francisco is like a great example of real estate gone wrong mm-hmm for sure. Dragging Millennium into the mix. If people not familiar, the Millennium Tower was this massive gleaming shaft of glass that they created next to Moscone Plaza right downtown. And, um, you know, through, I guess, developer error, uh, they didn't put the anchor points for the building down far enough into the bedrock. And so they built this massive, huge, like 100 plus story tower on sand, effectively. And um, it sank so much that, like, there's something like 13 inches of, like, change in some of the, the tower things. And, you know, people paid millions of dollars to buy condos in that joint and totally got boned hard. Yeah. Yeah, they did. Eric, Eric Van Drick says, two benefits of living in decaying Midwestern manufacturing cities. One, cheap housing. Two, cheap film cameras at Goodwill. That's awesome. Eric, where do you live? I'm curious where he lives because... I, um, it was, it was, it was a long time ago now. It was like five years ago. I went to Indiana for work. Um, and, uh, I, every thrift store I shopped at had some great cameras, some amazing cameras. Um, well, and, and also throw like number three on Midwest is if you take the back roads and you avoid the interstates, there's all sorts of cool shit to take pictures of. Yeah, for sure. So yeah. you were saying about finding the cameras out there? Um, oh, I was just saying Indiana. Oh, he lives in Indiana. He lives in Elkhart. Eric, my brother-in-law, lives in Elkhart. Um, and then I, when I went to Indiana in 2016, I was in Mitchell, which is way south. Um, it's south of Indy. It's like near Bloomington, Bedford, Mitchell. But anyway, like, yeah, I was just back. I took like the back roads to the airport and I hit like, and like 
you know, lots of good stuff to take pictures of. And there's like, you run into antique shops in all these towns, you know, so it's pretty cool. That's very cool. I, I like traveling like the back roads and in, in the like the Midwest and stuff. Like there's a lot of really cool stuff to see out there. If you avoid the interstates, um, yeah. the interstates are kind of boring. They're not a lot of fun. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's, um, especially the, there's that the main one in California where I can't remember which one it is, but you drive past like all the cow farms. And so it just like oh. smells like, yeah. Yeah. And it smells like shit for like <laughs> miles. Yeah. That one really sucks. I do not like that one. Yeah, it's super boring. Super boring. So with your, like, photo, so you said you've traveled a little bit there. Like, um, do you like doing, like, um, photo road trips or anything like that? Or um, is that um, something you... You know, I've never, done, I've never done a photo road trip. Um, it's something I would totally do. Like, I road trips are, are fun. Um, but, you know, having a family, I've got two little kids, they're 10 and six. And so, um, you know, that kind of stuff gets difficult with a family like that, you know, like we'll go to, we, we took a trip to Disneyland in June. So that was like the closest I'll come to a photo road trip. You know what I mean? Um, but, uh, but um, it's something I would do though. Something I would do for sure. What was your favorite ride at Disneyland? Oh God, my favorite ride at Disneyland is is the Haunted Mansion for sure. Ooh, that was a good one. That's yeah. a, that's the Tower of Terror one, right? Uh, no? So it's um, the Haunted Mansion is the slow buggy ride through a haunted mansion. It's not the one that drops. Okay. Yeah, the, the Tower of Terror yeah. is is now like the Guardians of Galaxy something, you know? Um, oh shit! They changed it. They did. Yeah, very recently. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, I've not done the Haunted Mansion one then. I did the Tower of Terror, so I got those ones mixed up. Yeah, so. yeah. The Haunted Mansion, yeah, it's it's just a classic. I think, that, like, it's it's existed since, like, the 60s, um, and it's just a classic. You know, you walk in, there's, there's an elevator, um, you know, and, like, the whole, you know, there's this room has no, you know, there's a narrator that says, this room has no windows and no doors. How do you get out? You know, and then the, the elevator, you know, the, there's an illusion of the room getting longer. Um, and then, but what's happening, obviously, is you are, you're in an elevator yeah, dropping elevator. down. And then you get on a buggy, and then you go through this kind of pretty mellow ride through a haunted mansion. There's silly ghosts and stuff, but it's awesome. Yeah, that's a cool one. I like that one a lot. Yeah. Um, I think my all-time favorite one, though, was the Cars one. Oh yeah, I love that one. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Because yeah, oh, yeah, it actually feels like you're racing a little bit. <laughs> yes, <laughs> definitely. I think oh. we did that one three times. Have you done? I can't remember what it's called, but it's like the. Uh, I think it's called soaring over California. Yes, that one was so cool. That's awesome. That, where they like they they mist you a little bit with water when you're going over the ocean, and then they spray the evergreen fragrance when you're going through the forest and stuff. Mm -hmm. The one that one was wicked cool. Yeah, I I like that one probably a lot more than I thought I was going to because I was like, this seems like some cheesy ass shit. Yeah, so good. Like, it's you know, don't sleep on that one. That that one was a good one. I yeah. definitely liked Disneyland more than Universal. We went to Universal on the same trip. And, like it was kind of cool. We did the Jurassic Park ride, and the Simpsons ride, and a few other things. But Disneyland was a lot cooler. 
And we found the best time to go there is like the day after Labor Day because all the kids are in school. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Disneyland, they know how to package an experience. That's for sure. Yeah, they do. Yeah. I mean, I felt kind of like a consumerist whore being there, but, you know. Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. With your $9 corn dog? Absolutely you are. Did you do the big, uh, the big like, turkey leg? Uh, no. So I do the corn dog. Like, the co- I'll eat the corn dog for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. So, so you're like, a corn dog connoisseur then? Yes, I'm a corn dog oh, connoisseur. I wish I still lived in Toronto and you could come visit because there's this place um, that was called Kung Fu Dog. And uh, it's this dude that he makes he – has, he has his own special recipe for mm-hmm. – and he's got like a butcher that like crafts up this like special recipe for him and like makes him his own dogs. And he would do a hand battered made to order corn dog for you right on the spot. And like nothing hits like a fresh fucking corn dog that you watch the guy just batter up and throw in, in the fryer and then like hand to you like, Oh man, it's just so good. Road trip, Vancouver, Vancouver to Toronto, man. That's a long road trip. <laughs> We're doing it. Um, it's I've done it in two and a half days is the shortest I've done it in. Mm-hmm. And like the last time I did it was like five days. Because a lot of people don't realize this, but Canada is fucking huge. Yeah. Like, that's, like, that's like San Francisco to New York, basically. It, that is exactly San Francisco to New York. And I used to have friends that'd be like, hey, man. I'm coming up for some business meetings in Toronto next week. Like you want to grab lunch? Like, and this is when I lived in Vancouver before. And I was like, I would love to grab lunch with you, man. But Vancouver is like on the other side of the country, dog. Yeah. And what, but I'm going to Canada. And I'm like, yeah, and Canada is huge. I have, um, I have friends who'll come and be like, Hey, I'm going to be in LA for, uh, I'm going to be in LA this weekend. And it's like, well, I'm, you know, I'm in, I'm in San Francisco. That's like, six hours away you know <laughs> it's like it's i'm nowhere near la so but you yeah, know but what do you mean i'm gonna be in california like let, yeah. let's hang out <laughs> i'm sorry jeffrey says that i'm making him hungry i'm sorry about that man i feel bad about that jeffrey you can come on our road trip dude yeah i mean if if ben's still on here we gotta get ben to sponsor like a, a sweet boy university like photo road trip like rent a bus or something and just get a bunch of sweet boys in the bus and do oh. like a hey are um registration still open for the sweet boy workshop or i'm not sure we have to hit him up on that one but i i just i just learned about sweet boy university on on the last episode and uh you know i'm very excited to become part of uh SBU, uh, you know, 2020. SBU. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's a great idea. Yeah. I think ben, Ben's idea is fantastic on that. Um, so the Shoot Film Co. and stuff, like, do you have any, um, like, big plans or aspirations of, like, what you want to branch it out into? Um, or you're just, you know, happy with that's, that? That's such a good question, and it's really hard to answer. It's one of those things that is, like, a it's kind of like a product by product thing. Um, you know, the next thing I'm working on um, that I actually haven't talked to anybody about, but I met this guy, he's a leather worker. And I was thinking like, I'm going to make some leather straps. But then he introduced me to this material called biothane, which is a, some, it's like a, how did you, 
it's like a nylon polyester weave and it feels like leather and it behaves like leather, but it's not leather. It's like synthetic and it's super durable. Um, and so I'm talking to him about making some straps out of this stuff called biothane. So that's my next project. Um, but, uh, as for grand plans or anything, um, you know, the, the, the true answer is I'm not really sure. <laughs> so it's just like a, I mean, you know, it's always been a list of ideas this long, you know, it's like, I've got a list of ideas on my phone and it's just like, I just kind of knock them out one by one, you know? Nothing wrong with that. Um, so like the pins and stuff, do you get all those made in like the, the States or is that something that you get like offshore kind of thing? So it's actually offshore. So like the, 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 enamel pins nobody in the united states makes makes those nobody really mm -hmm. so there's a company called Pinmart out of chicago um and i i use them for a while they are terrific people great to work with if anybody ever wants to make an enamel pin i would suggest using Pinmart to get started but they just they just ship the manufacturing off to a factory in china that's just that's just the reality of it. When I started this thing, I was like, I want to make it in the United States if I can. Um, but nobody, nobody makes enamel pins in the United States. Damn, that's wild. Yeah. And if somebody does, then I just haven't found them yet. But I spend the longest time, you know, just picking up the phone like one after another. It's like, no, we send it out to send it. You know, it's all manufactured in China. Everything's in China now. Yeah, just just about yeah. It's kind of wild to think about that because, like you know, in Canada, it, also a similar problem where we used to have a lot more manufacturing here, um, mm -hmm. and it's all just kind of disappeared now. Where it's just yeah. like it, this massive like skill drain, where um, it's just been cheaper to ship it off somewhere else. Yeah, you know, I, I feel like the U.S. probably got hit by that more um, with all the different industries that that y'all had down there that have now been kind of just broken out all over the place. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, you know, there's there's a lot of talks about um, uh, uh, chip manufacturing, you know, like silicon chip manufacturing, you know, and, and a bunch of infrastructure going into that. Um, and, uh, you know, that stuff kind of starts and stops and stalls with, with each administration, you know. But, you know, I guess... Well, and that's kind of wild too, because like if you, if you look at like the history of like chip manufacturing and, and all that, and like, sorry guys, I'm gonna get a little bit nerdy because like you know, some of you may not know, but like when I'm not doing photography stuff, my day job is working for Dell Technologies as a technology evangelist, and I've been like doing IT for um, like you know, over 15, 15 so years now, something like that. Um, so I got like really nerdy about this stuff, but like silicon chip manufacturing that came out of the Bay Area, like Intel, that's where yeah. it started in like a dude's garage, um, Moore, um, he's a doctor, Dr. Moore, Moore's Law, that's where it came from, like the chip right. manufacturing thing, like the founder of Intel, and all like the creating of silicon wafers and like, you know, semiconductors, that all started in the Bay Area, and then ended up getting shifted away to yeah. like the, the Asian countries. I think like Taiwan and China are like the, the big ones right now. And that's why everything is all fucked up. Um, 
because we have a massive chip shortage. Like the, the foundries, we don't have enough foundries. And then there's also not enough water, which is like the craziest one. So Crazy. foundries yeah. that do have, yeah, like so the, the foundries that do have like the capacity to do the manufacturing are now running out of water to actually run those systems because um, the amount of, like, well, not the amount, well, yeah, the amount of water required is insane because the cleanliness of the water is like just so, so crazy. Like regular filtered water that would be considered ultra safe for humans to drink um, wouldn't be usable for a chip manufacturing because there's still like tiny micron sized particles that would fuck up right. the wafers. So it's like, it has to be like beyond like medical grade. And right. all that. Like, it's insane. So that's why smart fridges and laptops and everything is all fucked up in the supply chain right now. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah. I have PlayStation 5s. Yeah, video. PlayStation 5s. Um, and that's, I think, a big part of why Apple has shifted to its own silicon right now is uh, to sort of avoid those potential issues that um, other foundries would be seeing. Uh, they've partnered with a really big uh, Taiwan chip manufacturer that Apple's basically their only customer. Yeah. Uh, which is like super wild and crazy. And That is crazy. Yeah, we've had a lot of different kinds of TED Talks tonight. Yeah. We... So this <laughs> makes me wonder about how this affects like digital cameras kind of bringing things to bringing things back to photography sort of it's I, I'm not sure if we've seen how it affects digital cameras yet um, and the reason I bring that up is because I'm actually going to be upgrading my digital camera rig soon um, and I was thinking like has this chip shortage hit that industry yet um, but uh, but yeah I that's that's something I was curious about so it, it is starting to affect um, the, the camera industry because um, the Leica, well, sorry, the purported um, Leica M11 that's supposed to release on the 11th of November, mm-hmm. want to have like the M11 on the 11th of the 11th because, you know, it's sort of cool. It'd be like if they released it like the 11th hour, like 11 minutes after yeah. It'd be awesome if it was the uh, the Spinal Tap edition, like the Spinal Tap Nigel <laughs> Tuck edition. Just turn it yeah. up to. It'd be awesome if he, if like, if at the Leica conference the the curtain came up and it's a confused Nigel Tufnell with the guitar, like, <laughs> like where like wanting to wanting to plug in his amp, like where do I plug this in? You know, what but fuck, guys? like what do I what do I what do I do here with this? Anyways, here's the new camera. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be funny, but apparently, um, the if they do do a release on the 11th, it's likely going to be like some sort of like um, celebratory, like we're going to be releasing this camera, and it yeah. may not be available for purchase because there are issues getting silicon for uh, components inside of it. It's affecting cars like crazy, too, where there's, like, literally thousands of finished vehicles that have been built at factories at, like, Chrysler, GM, Ford, and and whatnot that are just languishing because they don't have, like, a parking control module or something like that. So, like, the rest of the car is done, but, like, there's just, like, one computer chip that they're missing that makes it incomplete. So, they're actually, I think Chrysler started selling a bunch of Dodge Ram pickups that don't have like backup sensors because that's like 
the chip that they couldn't get. So they're just like, fuck it, whatever. Doesn't have backup sensors anymore. And um, it's, you know, it's I'd be okay with that. I might be okay with that. I drive an I drive an 06 Nissan Sentra and it works great. <laughs> you know, and and just seeing how in the last few years how you know, all these new cars are basically, you know, it's a car wrapped around a computer. And I just yeah. think like at at what point do we hit those diminishing returns where it's like I don't I don't need a computer in my car. Well, and, and that's a, a really interesting point, too. And I'm going to flip this into cameras in a second. But um, I, I drive a 2007 Volvo station wagon, which okay. I love. And, um, you know, previous to that, I had a 2009 Volvo station wagon, which I also loved until a cab driver killed it in a car accident last year. Um, but there was not a lot of bells and whistles and, and, and whatnot in, in either of those cars that I've had. Um, but the times that I went to Volvo and got a loaner car while they were working on mine, I'd get this like, you know, fancy SUV that um, if you're not paying attention, it'll do like braking for you. Or if you like accidentally go into like the edge, cause you're just trying to cut a corner, it'll like, you know, start shaking the wheel and like, yeah. you know, all these like safety assists and driver assist thing scared the living bejesus out of me the first few times, because I'm like, why is the car giving me shit right now? Like, this is right. Yeah, not right. But then flipping that back into cameras, um, I went to the Fuji X Pro Three release thing a couple years ago in Toronto that Beers and Cameras did in partner with uh, with Fujifilm, and all of the assists in in that camera were like freaking weird. Like when you look through the optical rangefinder and then you turn on like the the assist mode, you have this like minority report display that like you know overlays all of this like information on top of it and, and even my X, uh, X-T2, um, the manual assist when you're doing like manual focus on it there where you can like turn the manual assist on and uh, when it's in focus, it shades things, you know, all different. It's kind of weird and I'm not sure how I feel about like all of these assists in a camera when, you know, I just kind of want a box where I can just set the speeds and aperture and just push the button kind of thing. So like, how yeah. do you feel about like yeah. that? You know, and I say this as someone who loves advancing technology. I do love technology. I do love digital cameras. Um, obviously not in the same way I love film cameras, but, you know, I love, I love technology, but I just, you know, and maybe this is like the old codger in me, but there are, there is a point where you hit an inflection point where you realize this additional technology is not helping me like a backup sensor is cool but like i've been driving for half, more than half of my life and i've never had a backup sensor you know what i mean it's like i have a backup sensor it's it's my eyes <laughs> you know yeah. um and it, it's just like it's just like a lot of these computers and my um my in-laws have a tesla it's the oh. it's freaking spaceship it's cool dude it's 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 wild. it's wild it is wild i mean sitting in that thing for the first time i could not i felt like i was in the future but well, it, you are in the future but the future's a narc that's right yeah the yeah. future's a stitch dude it is a snitch and that's <laughs> a, that's the number one reason why i would never buy a tesla is i don't want my car to be a fucking snitch yeah like no yeah, 
yeah, yeah. Snitches get stitches, you know. But um, exactly. but um, you, you know, it's just like a lot of that stuff, like like a smart fridge. Again, maybe this is like the old man in me, but like, like I I I I just need my fridge to keep my pad thai cold. That's all I need it for. You know what I mean? I don't need my fridge to do anything else. Um, so it, <laughs> like a lot of this. A lot of this technology just is is beyond that inflection point of like, I, I don't need that. That's cool as hell. I don't need it. You know exactly. Um, like when I think smart fridges, I think of Silicon Valley in the episode when Gilfoyle <laughs> hacked the smart yes. fridge. They suck at Jin Yang. <laughs> <laughs> Stuck at Jin Yang. Yeah. Exactly, and it's like I don't want to have to worry about patching my fridge so that someone can't hack it and make all my food rotten. Yeah. Like that kind of a weird thing yeah. to think about like the whole internet of, of things idea and and that's sort of like a terrifying it's a terrifying thing that's actually happening right now is like the internet of things and it's, it's something that i have to to talk about at work with with customers and whatnot <laughs> just how internet connected everything is becoming yeah and we're reaching a point right now where there's at least I think it's like five to eight devices for every single person that's alive on the planet right now. I believe it. Five to six digitally connected devices. And, and so it's like, yeah, we're talking what it's like, we're almost like 4 billion people in the world right now. So like it tens of billions of connected devices that are streaming some sort of data back into, you know, data pools, data lakes, the Borg, um, you know, metaverse. Metaverse. <laughs> yeah. Whatever, whatever AI is going to end up killing us, you know. And, well, and AI and, scares the shit out of me. Me so. too. Yeah, me too, for sure. And again, I say this as someone, as like a starry-eyed kid who would love to fly in a spaceship, you know, like, you know, like the technology is cool, but like, you, you know, you, you just hit that point sometimes if we're like, how is this really benefiting us? Um, and a lot of times if you kind of do some soul searching, it's like, it's, it's, it's not, you know, a lot of it is not. Well, yeah. And like, I, I'm a techno boy as well, you know, yeah. Th- throw back to bad religion. I'm a 21st century digital boy, perhaps. Um, like I have Wi-Fi enabled light bulbs in my house now, which I, at the first time I heard about them, I'm like, that's fucking ridiculous. Who's going to buy Wi-Fi light bulbs? And now I use Siri to turn different shit on in my house because I can't be bothered to go talk with Switch somewhere. And it's we're kind on, of amazing. <laughs> we're on a video call. We're on a yeah. video call, right? That's cool. I remember, um, you know, I remember just watching like cheesy 90s movies with video calls and thinking like as a kid, they can't do that. That's bullshit. That's like, you know, um, and we're on a video call right now. But where's our fucking hoverboards? That's what I want to know. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, it, it, it's cool. So, uh, so my play lot is, is making a comment. It seems fairly typical for people to be most comfortable with the technology of their youth. That's a great point. I'm sure there are great grandparents who don't see the need for TV. Radio is just fine. Yeah. You know, that, that's a great point. And again, that's why I say, like, I kind of disclaimer all this stuff of like, that's why it could be the old conjure in me, you know. Um, I do. I've got, phone. I've got my smartphone here in front of me, um, and I can't imagine living without my smartphone. You know, I really, I truly can't. It's too, 
it's too damn handy. You know? It, yeah, it's way too yeah. handy. I've like become so, super. That's such, that's a great point. I think that's a that's a great point that uh, that that uh, that they they bring up. Um, but, but to counter that point a little bit is, yeah. it's a very different kind of technology from back then. So when TV was coming to uh, to light and like VCRs and all that kind of stuff, um, they were still isolated in their own little ecosystems and there was no logic or intelligence inside of those devices. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, they, they weren't pulling in massive amounts of metrics of like their users and things like that. Like, you know, I wear an Apple watch every once in a while. Yeah. And, you know, this is reporting back health data on me to some cloud somewhere so that some AI can go tell me that I should drink more glasses of water or something. And, you know, they say there's privacy around all of that, apparently, but, um, you know, there's, there's data pools for every single person that's out there. And no one really knows what's actually happening with a lot of these different data sets that are out there. We're just sort of trusting that these companies that are compiling this data are actually protecting it and, you know, not using it for nefarious ends or things like that. Right. Yeah. Fingers crossed. Right. We're trusting. Yeah, fingers crossed. And there also wasn't a fear that, like, when the cable company came out that, like, you know, all of the TVs would connect together and gain this sentience to be like, you know what? We're changing the channels now, not you guys. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's the thing that's kind of wild with like, we, we don't understand what we're playing with anymore. Especially when we're getting into like neural networks and AI and that kind of stuff. Like we don't understand how the human brain even works right now, which was a terrifying thing to learn after having a brain injury last year in the car accident and dealing with doctors and finding out that, you know, one doctor literally said, brains are a magical thing that we don't fully get yet. So you'll just have to bear with us. Yeah. And I was like, as someone who's needing health assistance with this, that you're not instilling a lot of confidence in me right now. Right. right. And so we don't understand the, the physical brain meat, but we're starting to build digital constructs of something that we don't even fully understand yet. And it's interesting because I'm seeing products for <clears throat> photography that are pulling that in uh where that arsenal device have you ever played with one of those it's like no. a, it's like a weird little ai puck that you put into the hot shoe and then you plug it into your camera through like the usb or uh like hdmi or something but it like helps you take better pictures when you have a digital camera because it can like assess the situation that you're looking okay. at and adjustments to like how you're going to be shooting and it's just, it's interesting. I like the convenience, like, like you're saying, I like the conveniences of what we, we have. And like, it's, it's novel to be able to be on a video call with you while you're like, you know, thousands of miles away from me in a different yeah. part of the continent. Um, but it's also like, we're putting a lot of trust in these systems and we're also giving up some autonomy by like handing over control of parts of our lives to these systems. And that's something I think <clears throat> people need to maybe be a little more cognizant and aware of is I don't know if privacy should be something that people is getting like get gets upset about. Like privacy is important, but like if you carry around a smart like an Apple like iPhone or Android or things like that, you've kind of effectively given up privacy. Yeah. But the autonomy is is the the thing that I'm more concerned about is like giving up my personal autonomy of like the things that I can actually control. Sure. In my life. 
And I think that's going to be the, the battle that'll be a bit of a scarier one there. Yeah. Yeah. And we don't know, we won't know the consequences of it until something really terrible happens. Absolutely. You know? uh, and, w- and when something terrible does happen, you know, that's when we go like, oh, you know, but we can't, we, we're not fortune tellers. You know, we don't know. We don't know what that terrible thing is yet. We can, we can guess. We no. can make guesses as what it will be, but. Yeah. Well, yeah. and like some people are like, you know, oh, if we give like self-driving cars. They're going to murder people. And it's like, maybe that it's hard to say, but like people driving cars already murder people. So, you know, what's right. really the, the difference there? Like, you know, it's something will will shift and it's going to be really weird and um i'm kind of for it <laughs> i want to see what happens um as terrifying as it is and it kind of like when i think about it for too long it kind of gives me that feeling where it's like you know my my nuts clench up a little bit and i'm just like Ooh, like you know what's right. what's going to yeah. happen here but um, like to the point where like, you know, someone commented that they drive like a 64 one ton pickup, no computers there. And another person said they drive like a 1984 Audi, um, also no computers there. Like, I think it's important to be able to embrace and, and enjoy and utilize these technology conveniences we have, but to also be able to in, in enjoy like you know, more analog things, more things where you have to be engaged with it. Um, you know, I, I'd be really curious to find out how many people out there in the world right now that have a driver's license um, know how to drive a manual vehicle. Um, I, I'd be really kind of curious to find find that out because it, it's yeah. probably like, you know, in like a one, like a single digit percentage. I, I would, wouldn't be surprised to find out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're saying you know how to drive yeah, I, I don't know how to drive a stick. I, I actually did at one point. I tried to, my brother tried to teach me, but, um, and I, you know, I was kind of able to zip around town a little bit. But if I were to get in a manual vehicle now, I wouldn't be able to do it because that was over 20 years ago, you know. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, again, just coming back to photography and film, it's just that physical engagement, you know, that's part of why I like film. Um, it's yeah. part of why I like drawing with a pencil. You know, um, it's part of it's part of the magic of speaking to somebody face to face, even though it is over a screen rather than over text, you know. Well, in, in like, I, I think like th- this would be like the equivalent of like a manual vehicle in, in the camera world. Sure. And um, I never really understood these until someone loaned me the body and I started using one and I was like. I like the magic of it. Like it's, yeah. it's nice to just be able to use something where it's like, it's just a box that you set the shutter speed and you set the aperture and you point it at something that you want and you push the button. Like that's it. There's nothing else to it. And it engages kind of- you. It engages you in a different way. Yeah, it really does. Like um, it, um, even, even, even from even a different way from a, from a digital camera, where you're interfacing, even the the most bougiest looking camera with their knobs and dials, none of those cam you're still interfacing with the computer, and your brain knows it. You know, um, uh, there you go. 
but um you know uh, it just your your brain knows when you're interfacing with the computer versus like a mechanical thing and just it it just engages you in a different um in a different way so well it it really does like one of one of the best moments that i've had in in my life in the last probably 10 years um was i on a complete whim bought a random um 1970s um you know beater car is a four banger with a four speed i bought it for 250 bucks off of craigslist mm -hmm. i flew down to vancouver to buy it and drove it back to kamloops where i was living and in this thing like it was a monumental piece of shit. Like it was in rough shape. It was completely gutless. Like I think it was like maybe when it was brand new, it, it could have been like 98 horsepower. Um, but that was one of the best moments I've had in a really long time. Just being inside of that car. It was a beautiful summer day. I was driving um, on the Coca Hollow, which, you know, some of you Americans would know it as the highway from hell. There's mm -hmm. a TV about it it's not as scary as they make it out to be on the tv show especially in the summertime but uh, you know, it's good tv um and i've definitely gotten a kick out of watching it because i'm like i've been there and it's not that bad but that drive was kind of an amazing thing where it was just like there was no radio in it it had no air conditioning so it was a really hot summer day so i had both of the windows rolled down um you know so it's just like the smell of this old car, the smell of the, the carbureted engine doing its job. It didn't like it when I got it close to 120. So I had to keep it around 110 to make it happy. And it was just like a really visceral sort of pure experience of just spending like, you know, five hours in this car, just driving it through this beautiful day. And I kind of feel that a little bit when I pick up the M3 and I, I start wandering around with it or like, if I play with like, you know, the little Rolly 35S or like little, like um, even a Zorky, I, I was, had a Zorky S for a little while there, which I, I just sold recently. And that was a really cool camera to just be in touch with, with this thing and have it be a little more engaging in a different way. So you had to like shift your mind a little bit because you couldn't rely on it to do some thinking for you. You had to do all of the thinking. It was just a yeah. tool that was there to enable what you were trying to do at that moment. <clears throat> yeah, definitely. That physical engagement, it just switches your brain, a part of your brain that, that, um, you know, you don't, you, you can kind of lose sometimes. Yeah. And, and that's the thing that's kind of scary in, in the, in, in the time that we're in right now is um, I, I feel like, well, one, we're kind of losing brain power a little bit. And like, you know, Dallas point case in point right there, you know, all of those people that actually went thinking that the JFKs were going to come back from the dead and like in state the orange um, as their emperor forever. Yeah. Uh, but then another thing that's kind of uh, concerning, like another article I read recently was because um, so many of us are no longer doing jobs with our hands that require like you know dexterity and whatnot um, as a species we're losing dexterity uh, yeah because we're just we're not maintaining that so um, this article was like you know at some point we could reach a level of humanity that doesn't have the dexterity to do things like brain surgery or like super fine 
um, treatments and things like that because we're just not using our hands as much. And that's just like, you know, as part of evolution when something starts changing and we don't need it or like we need it, our like construct starts to remove or add that feature in. And uh, hand dexterity seems to be a feature that's like slowly on its way out because we don't need to use it as much. And when I read that article, I was like, holy shit, that's terrifying. But then I stopped and thought for a minute and I'm like, but it's completely on point. Like when I was a kid, the jobs that I had to do to make money were all jobs that I was like working with my hands. Like I was fabricating things in, in a, in a workshop, you know, I was repairing photocopiers and there was a lot of these jobs where it's like working with my hands. And now in my adult life, um, I just sit in front of a keyboard and sit on zooms talking to people all day long. And I'm like, I've definitely lost dexterity for sure. And so I can kind of see where we're going and like, you know, what, what would your thoughts on, on that be? Well, you know, that's kind of where a joke popped into my mind of where, okay, we might lose the ability to, to do brain surgery, but that's when the um, Tesla surgery machines will assist us, you know? Um, so, uh, you know, um, who knows where that kind of, where we'll lose that dexterity and how, the technology will fill that role for us, um, you know, because technology is filling those roles right now that is allowing us to lose the dexterity. You know, you don't have to, you don't have to repair copy machines because you type on a computer all day, you know? Um, so, um, but, uh, but yeah, that's, that's something interesting to think of. Um, and, and again, that kind of swings it back to technology in a weird way of like, then, if we lose that, how, how is the technology going to help us? Well, and it's also kind of thing like bringing it back into cameras. Um, I was talking to Phil uh, from the dark room um, mm -hmm. a few months back on, on the show. And he kind of gave his feedback a little bit on why we don't have any new SLR cameras today. And, you know, in his mind, the biggest reason we don't have any new SLR cameras today is no one knows how to manufacture shutters anymore. Yeah. And I had to think about that for a minute. I'm like, you're kidding me, right? Like with all of the technological marvels we can do today, why can't we make shutters? And it's like, well, no one like maybe is even alive that knew how to build those originally, or maybe we don't get the materials um, to a, a spec good enough. Like that's why we have eight frames of Polaroid now instead of 10 because no one makes a Mylar film thin enough as Polaroid did back in the day. Right. So the Mylar film that's available to like the Impossible Project, now Polaroid, again, uh, the Mylar film that was available to them at that time at the thickness that it's at only allowed them to fit eight frames into the cartridge. And it's just like, really? Like, we, we can't make something that they were producing in the 70s? Like, that's, it's just wild to think. That is that is definitely wild. And I think a lot of that has to do with, I mean, if there was enough money in that kind of thing, then somebody's going to learn, you know, somebody's going to learn how to make shutters. Um, but, uh, you know, also the economics play into that, too. But, yeah, that is that is wild to think about that. Like, that's true. Like, I, I, I don't know if you were following that. Um, that reflex project, it was kickstartered. And yeah. It was you know, one of one of their more recent updates was 
the problems in manufacturing the shutter, um, talking about this exact thing, um, that a lot of that technology and knowledge is, is lost. So yeah, pretty crazy. Well, that's why we don't have pack film anymore because right. Fuji destroyed the last folding mm -hmm. machines and mm -hmm. no one how to build new folding machines. And a uh, waster of silver says that, um, mechanical watch companies might have the, uh, the wherewithal to possibly build shutters and it, they could. And it, that's an interesting thing to have noticed that with photography people is that along with music being, having a convergence with photography, you also watch guy. Uh, I, I'm more of a watch kid rather than a watch guy. Like I'm kind of a watch, um, a watch novice, but I love watches, you know, again, because of the, you know, the physicality, the, the, the craftsmanship, all the same reasons that I appreciate, you know, uh, all the same reasons I appreciate this, uh, you know, yeah. um, I appreciate uh, watches, but. Yeah, I just, I, I finally got a case for a few of them. See. Very cool. There's a couple guys in there. Nice. I, just, I got my, so I'd never really fucked with too many crazy watches. Like, um, I'd mostly been messing with, like, the the Japanese automatics, like Orient and Seiko. Um, I really, like, this Orient, I, I really dig. Um, I just picked up my first Hamilton before the call. A guy had a really good deal on a Hamilton khaki. That, that was kind of cool. Nice. But it's a quartz one. It's not an automatic. But as an early birthday present slash I'm, I haven't killed myself yet present, um, I bought my first big boy watch um a couple like last week i uh i got this crazy oris um very cool it's you a, know it's who introduced a... me to orises is take big head taco yeah so take has the same one yeah i i'd never heard of them until he showed me his and then um and then they started popping up everywhere. Like I'd be at the train station and see an Oris ad and I'd be like, dude, that's the watch that Take introduced me to. Very cool, man. I love it. Yeah. They're, they're really cool. Like I like the story behind this one. It's got, it had a neat story before I got it. And the story of how I got it was interesting too. So it, it's got some like specialness, uh, specialness to me there. But I also like the story of, of this model. Cause like Take has the same one. It's called, um, the big crown pointer mm -hmm. and um, it's because it's got this like date function that points to the the date so yeah. around the crown are like the date numbers um, but this one was the 80th anniversary of the pointer mechanism um, so for the 80th anniversary they made a bronze casing for it and I dig the bronze casing because it means every single one of these that was made is going to age differently and patina differently. So yeah. like Take has like the regular, I think it's like stainless steel or something. And like all those are all going to look the same. They may yeah. have some scratches or whatever, but the bronze ones, they're all going to age just a little bit differently and all have this kind of like uniqueness to them. And uh, I kind of dig that. And it's something that I like about like old cameras too, is like when, when you pick up like an old camera and I, I don't know if you, have the same kind of like feeling with it. But whenever I pick up an old camera, I want to know its story. Like I wish the cameras could talk because it's like, where have you been? Like, you know, have you lived in a drawer for the last like 20 years or have you traveled the world or like, what have you seen? What have you been? I love it. Yeah. 
I love it. You know what I love is when you open up the back of a camera and you see a service sticker of when mm -hmm. it was last serviced. You know, like like Milt's camera, Chicago, 1982, replaced shutter, you know. Um, or when somebody uh, uh, scratches their driver's license number into it. Um, have you ever seen that? Like, um, My Mamiya C33 is like that. It's got someone's yeah. like name scratched into it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I guess like for some reason they thought that like it was like a theft deterrent, you know. Um, I don't know if it actually worked, but like like people would scratch their driver's license numbers into their cameras. You know, very cool. Um, and then, you know, sometimes I'll see a camera with a little sticker on it, like of, of like, you know, it's like Fred Willard, you know, 44 Elm Street. You know, it's like I love I love that that uh, what's the word provenance. You know, yeah, I love, love that. I love that just that history or at least the idea of that history, because you don't fully know, like, um, you know, unless the owner tells you the story of that camera, you don't always know the story of that camera. Yeah, and, and I love that kind of stuff. Like I bought a Mamiya press cam off of a guy that used to be a colorist for Vice out of Australia, and he was mm -hmm. living in Toronto for a while. And he's like, I don't have the story of his camera before I bought it, but he's like, since I've owned it, it's been around the world three times with me. I've taken it to all these different continents. He's like, I picked up this grip over here. He's like, this ground glass I picked up at like a camera thing in Japan. And it was really cool to like learn that um, that history of, of, of the camera and it's where, where it's been. And um, I just, I always get curious whenever I come across an old camera, just to like, it would be so cool if there was a way where you could like, you know, touch it and like see through its like lens. Yeah. Like, you know, know where, where, it's... where have you been? Where'd you come from? Yeah. And like, and like, that's something that I, you, you mentioned that you would buy cameras at, uh, at thrift shops and things like that. Like I'm, I imagine you've probably come across cameras that had film inside of them. Like, did you ever oh, get that film developed? And I do. Yeah, absolutely. I've got, I've found a bunch of, in fact, I was looking through some roles yesterday of, 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 uh, stuff I'd gotten developed. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't always get it developed, but I fairly often get it developed. Like if it was, if it's rewound back into the cassette, then I assume it's all been shot, you know, but, you know, otherwise it like, you can tell when something's been pulled out and it's been opened a bunch and exposed and it's like, well, you know, the film's yeah. just exposed. I'm not going to get it developed, but yeah, for, for sure. Yeah. yeah I've, I've found that I've even tried to, um, post a couple of examples on Twitter and my stories on Instagram to see if I could get the pictures back to their owners, but I've never really gotten any bites. That's, that's too bad. Yeah. There, there's someone here um, in Vancouver that found a box of slides, like not, a, it was like a, a gar like a grocery bag of slides. Mm -hmm. Someone had, Oh, someone threw out yeah he grabbed them and he's been scanning them and he made like this instagram page i gotta try and find it but it's really fascinating because it's just like these, these random people's lives that someone just was like ah fuck it i don't care about these anymore. yeah yeah for for some reason that there was they no longer held value and that's that's kind of sad but but yeah interesting yeah i i found that i find that stuff all the time 
kind of related to the tech to technology i found a digital camera a few uh, a, a while ago that had um uh uh pictures on the card and i was curious about and i posted about this on instagram too i i was curious i ran i googled um face recognition technology you know i just googled and i found a company where you can upload a picture and it'll do a search on it'll recognize the face and do like a reverse search on the face and long story short i found the person who was in these pictures you know pictures of his family and his kids and stuff and i i, I found the guy like i found out who he was um and that was like wow that's kind of scary that like me you know who has you know who is only moderately technologically savvy was able to you know you know from the photographs on a memory card was able to find who this person was so that was that was kind of scary i'm kind of curious though so while you were hacking the gibson um when you got to the point where you realized the person it's... was were you like i'm in <laughs> yeah, it... was like i'm in <laughs> it, you know it it was more like holy shit that's the guy yeah like you know and again like i'm i'm fairly technologically savvy you know i know my way around stuff but like i'm by no means a you know i'm by no means a hacker you know but uh hacking the gibson that's a funny reference but um <laughs> but uh but yeah when i saw the guy like i saw the the search results come up and and the name and it's like you know when i saw that connection i was like holy shit that's the guy and that's really scary that in under 10 minutes i was able to find that well and, and that's a thing that's kind of wild about the world we live in right now and this is like you know why i've, I've said it so many times in, in different forums that uh, you know privacy doesn't really exist anymore because yeah. it, the only way to be completely private in this world is to completely drop out of participating in all of this yeah and go grizzly atoms it somewhere and even then like a satellite could like pick you up wiping your ass in the woods somewhere and like they'll have like a photo of you like this looking up to the stars and you know mm -hmm. maybe it gets put out publicly sometime and someone does yeah. a reverse search because you've been missing for like 30 years and now comes up like this photo of you in the middle of nowhere like it's we live in a very intrusive world right now and um yeah, it's kind of scary to think like how much data is just out there and how much of it really isn't controlled completely yet. And, um, you know, sometimes that could be a good thing. Cause like, you know, if, if this was like a lost camera, you could have found who that person was through those things and messaging. Right. Be, hey, like I found this camera, like, you know, in, in Vallejo and, uh, you know, using the internet kind of figure out maybe it's yours. Like, you know, are you trying to find this or like, you know, that, super creepy popularized tv show on netflix you um you know this kind of stuff is could be used by like a character like joe and you for um sketchy shit yeah yeah exactly exactly and that and that's kind of how i felt it's like this it, it, it's like it's it's creepy i was thinking like i was thinking about reaching out to the guy and saying hey i found um this camera it was at a thrift store so i assume he just chucked it, you know, but I found your pictures on this camera. You know, do you want these pictures back or would you just like me to, to just format it, you, you know? Um, 
and I thought like, well, maybe even that's too creepy. I'm not even going to do that, you know, so. So now you just have pictures of this random dude and you know who he is. Yeah, I'm emailing. I'm going to email them to you right now. Dude, they're great. This dude's <laughs> no. Um, uh, so, no, I just I just, you know, I formatted the card. I deleted him and I was like, you know, like, I want no part of that. You know, that is just so weird that I was able to, to do that just as a as an experiment, you know. Well, and sometimes it's nice not to know. Like, um, I was talking about this with some friends, um, about like, sometimes when you're taking pictures of things and like, you see this, this thing going on and you kind of wonder, it's like, what's the story behind that? Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's better to just not know, like, you know? Yeah, for sure. Definitely. I appreciate you sharing that. So now we know, um, that Mike likes, um, searching for random people on the internet. (laughs) Yeah. I will, I will find you and I will stalk you to the ends of the earth. So um, would it be fair to say that you're like the Liam Neeson of the film community then? <laughs> yeah, I've got a, I've got a, a very specific skill set. <laughs> when you said I will find you, I just like, you know, yeah. it made me think of like the taken stuff and I, I couldn't, I couldn't help myself there. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Dude, I, I really appreciate you spending spending this time with me. It's been great chatting with you. and I, we, Yeah, we for sure. I, I mean, I hope we didn't go off the rails too much, man. I, I'm, I'm not no. sure. And so, like, that's that's the thing is um, this show is kind of the point of it is to kind of go off the rails a little bit because um, there's so many other podcasts and interview things out there where um, it's like, what is your favorite film stock yeah what is your favorite um you know uh why can i think about it right now um what is your favorite lens Mm -hmm. those kinds of things and like a lot of the conversations that that i've watched you know i'll be able so many of them are great and it's really cool to watch them and, and learn but it's all really focused on like the equipment and like the the pictures and um don't really get to hear a lot about the person. Yeah. And so that's what I kind of like doing with, with this platform is like being able to learn more about you, like, you know, Mike, the guy behind shoot film code the guy behind the camera and the guy that's like, you know, learning who you are through your SD cards that you dropped on the ground. Healing <laughs> <Like it's... laughs> people's SD cards. Yeah, exactly. You know, that could be a patch. It's like, are your SD cards safe? It's like, <laughs> Do you know where your SD cards are right now? <laughs> <laughs> you could do that once. Like I learned it from watching you, and just like have like you know an SD card like opening up a cigar box and <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, I, I like learning more about like the like people's stories about themselves, and um, you know that's something that I missed during COVID was being able to go to events like the film today and going to Policon and different things like that and being For able sure. to with people and like, you know, um, meet them on a personal level. And yeah. so I've, I guess I've tried to um, instill that in in this chat where it's like, you know, get that thing that I'm missing, but then it also enables other people to learn a bit more about each individual person. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's been a lot of fun. Um, <clears throat> I think I'm going to wind it down a little bit though, because um, I'm starting to 
lose my train of thought. <laughs> it is. I didn't even realize how it's, it, I guess it's seven. We've been at this for a couple hours. So yeah, we, we've been at it. It's been a good chat. Like yeah. I've appreciated the time, man. Um, I can't wait to see you in the real world and get burgers um, because the Bay area is going to be, it, it's on my like list of like top five places to first hit when travel is not as crazy as it is right now. Yeah, man. Uh, come on. We'll, we'll do it. And I'll, I'll take you through, um, you know, I'll show you, I'll show you Vallejo. Um, you know, we'll, we'll stalk some people, man. We'll find some, we'll, we'll hack the Gibson all day, dude. We'll, we'll use some of your uh, special set of reasons. Like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> It'll be fun. And if you ever make it up to Vancouver, man, you always got a place to stay. And there's all sorts of great food to, to check out here and lots of I intend I intend to. I intend to really soon actually. Like to, you know, pay pay you a visit, visit, visit Take. And he's always saying, like, come up, dude, come up, come up, come up, come up. So like Yeah, man, I, we'll I, get I, we'll get out with Take and we'll do a photo walk. Take knows some like great spots, so we could like hit up yeah. Chinatown with Take. Um maybe we could even get uh, Henry out if um he gets a little less scared of the COVIDs. Um He's been a little, a little scared of uh, going into public places with COVID being. I don't blame him. I don't blame him one bit. Yeah, but thank you so much for your time tonight, and thank yeah, you, thank you for tuning in. Um, next week, I'm going to have uh, Starla um, on the chat. Um, looking oh, forward. Oh, awesome! To I love her. Yeah. Yeah, Starla's great. Uh, we've just been chatting a little bit on the gram. She's a fantastic photographer out of Tennessee, and uh, she's going to be joining me next week. That's great. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Stay safe out there, and I'll see you next week. All right. All right. Take care, Mike. Thanks. You too. Thanks for having me. No problem. It was great, man. Talk to you soon.